RMA would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is recorded, the Dharawal people. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal people listening today. I would say about not being frightened, about stepping beyond your comfort zone. It doesn't have to be a big step beyond. You can kind of stay on your comfort zone, the edge, but don't doubt yourself. Have the courage to take that first step. You never know where that is going to to take you, where it leads. And in doing that, that is where you grow. And at times, you know, you might feel uncomfortable. You might have those moments of doubt, but don't let that hold you back. That you're moving forward and to grow as a person, to never stop growing and never stop learning. Um, And also just to really, yeah, make the most of life. Life is so very, very precious. Often even if things might be tough, you know, at a time in life, but to wake up and tap into that gratitude inside and hold on to that when things are tough. Hello, welcome to Season 2 of the RMA Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan. We are excited to share inspiring stories of amazing everyday women who are using running as a vehicle to connection and change in their lives. We want to share the impact of these powerful stories with you, how running can free you, challenge you, help you believe in yourself and lead you to places you never thought possible. Thank you for listening to these powerful stories. We're excited to have you on the journey with us one step at a time. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the RMA podcast. Today, I have a very exciting guest for you, Heather Hawkins. Heather is a mum of two from Coogee in Sydney, and I have been following her journey for so many years now, and she's been a great part of our RMA network. Heather was diagnosed in 2007 with stage one ovarian cancer with an unknown future. Since this diagnosis, she's now conquered the world of extreme marathons and adventures. After being diagnosed and her subsequent treatment, which thankfully she is now still a survivor of, Heather competed in her first four-kilometer running event at the age of 47 with her children at the Mother's Day Classic. It was there that this fire about running and adventure was lit in her heart And Heather's journey went on the most inspiring of journeys. Heather has competed in six half marathons, 24 marathons and six ultra marathons, which include the 2015 North Pole Marathon, where she was a female winner, and the World Marathon Challenge being seven marathons and seven continents in seven days. She's hiked and trekked the world's longest and highest alpine peak with her children in 2018, the Great Himalaya Trail across Nepal, where they covered 1,700 kilometers in 152 days. She's gone on to run the Volcanic Marathon Challenge. She's also run the toughest foot race on earth, which is the 250-kilometer ultramarathon disables in the Sahara Desert in Morocco. She's run the track, which is 520 kilometers from Alice Springs to Uluru. And she's just gone on so many amazing adventures. On top of this, she is an amazing ambassador for Ovarian Cancer Australia, the Cantu Foundation, 
the Australian New Zealand Gynecological Oncology Group and the Indigenous Marathon Foundation. And she also volunteers at her local beach as a surf lifesaver. She speaks regularly for charities and sporting conferences and community groups and she's tireless in her quest to raise awareness and money for cancer research and inspire people to find their own adventurous spirit. In this vein, she has also published an autobiography, Adventurous Spirit, by Murdoch Books, which was described as being truly uplifting, inspiring, and incredibly honest and insightful at so many levels. And I have read this book, and it was a joy to read. I don't want to give too much away in this episode, but the reason I wanted to get Heather on, apart from her amazing story and to hear a little bit about the adventures that she's been on, is to help you and I understand the importance of looking after our bodies and what we should look out for in light of ovarian cancer. So we do talk at length about ovarian cancer and her journey at the beginning of this podcast before we go into her running adventures. Without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Heather Hawkins. Before we begin, a message from this week's sponsor, Physiocram Massage Gel. Physiocram has been helping Running Mums Australia to achieve their running goals for years now and ease those post-training muscular aches and pains. Hurting sucks and Physiocram has our back. To get your own Physiocram, head to www.physiocram.com.au. Don't forget, if you're a member of the member program, you can get 20% off with your member code. You can also find Physiocram at your local pharmacy. Hi, Heather. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to chat. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you, Heather. You've been part of the RMA network for so long now, and I've loved following along your story. And I wanted to highlight your story in the podcast for two reasons. One is because you are an amazing advocate for women's health, uh, particularly in the space around ovarian cancer and ovarian cancer research or cancer in general too. So um, I wanted to highlight that and, and highlight the things that we need to be looking out for in our own bodies as women and mums. And I also wanted to highlight the amazing journeys that running has taken you on and the reasons why you take up these incredible challenges. So there's two big reasons. And also, I just think people need to get to know who you are because you're just a beautiful person inside and out and you have just an incredible story. So thank you for joining us today. I'm super excited to get into it. Um, you have done so many things, Heather, in your life and not only running achievements, but you have, you know, you've got achievements with your beautiful family and your career. And I, I just want to um, go back now to where it all began for you when you were a child. And you just want to tell people like about your, a little bit about your upbringing and where you grew up and um, yeah, a little bit about your story. Yeah, Nicole, I'd love to. Um, yeah, I grew up in Melbourne. Um, I was born in 1965, which uh, every time I, <laughs> I write down that year on a form, I think, oh, my goodness, that's a long time ago now. <laughs> uh, but I uh, grew up near the Yarra Valley, a really beautiful place to grow up. Um, and my mum and dad bought an old orchard. And uh, to grow up in that, to have that space on that property, 
Um, and mum and dad were fantastic role models, really loving parents. And I've got two older brothers who I would hang out with. I was, I was probably a little bit more of a tomboy growing up. Uh, and I think also too, I was quite shy. I would always hold back. I was always quite, quite anxious about being in front of the class or perhaps being in a position where I could potentially fail or, or feel like I'm making a fool of myself. And um, so for me over, over these years, yes, to, to kind of come to terms with that and then push through and gain confidence has been a really big thing in my life. Mm. Um, my dad was quite an adventurous spirit. He, he traveled around uh, Australia in, back in the 50s and his love of the outback really permeated through. And as I was growing up, we went on quite a few family holidays with our old Franklin uh, caravan on the back of our Valiant and uh, <laughs> went off to explore Australia. And that really planted the seed uh, for me. Mm. And so I uh, studied nursing when I finished school. I loved uh, the idea of caring for people and nurturing them, mm. as well as the other side of things where you could actually travel with nursing. It was a fantastic way of, of um, yeah, traveling around the country and potentially going overseas as well. Yeah. So, so when I finished nursing, I headed off to Alice Springs. And for me, I think that was my way of, of saying, you know, I'm, I'm heading out. Um, I'm going to find my own way in life. I want to try and uh, yeah, have a few adventures of my own and see where life will take me. Mm. So that's kind of, yeah, my growing wow. up in a, in a nutshell. But I am so grateful. Yeah, my parents were terrific and just beautiful souls. And I think as I get older, you know, I've, I've really, you know, look back at the times that we shared growing up and even, even as a young mum, just appreciating so much the support my mum gave me through those years. Mm. Yeah, they just made a massive difference in my life. Mm. And I loved reading some of those stories in your book, which we will talk about uh, in this podcast, um, about those, some of those travelling journeys that you went on with your family and how that really did instill that adventurous spirit in you. And I can really relate to that because when I think back to my childhood, like, you know, my dad is a little bit of a, I guess, free spirit as well, loves to just get out into nature and we'd, we'd go camping and hiking in, you know, the snowy mountains and I, I just, and then, you know, you kind of go through that period, I guess, I like I would say mid-teens, early 20s where I kind of didn't do a lot of that. But then as I got older and obviously my kids got older and it was easier um, I've come back full circle into that adventure, like really wanting to just explore and see the surroundings around me and, and, and afar. And I think that that was instilled in me from my father. So it's really nice to hear that the same sort of story, um, that has happened in your life. Like it's, and I hope that I instill that in my own children as well. I mean, they're not very adventurous right now that I'd, I'd like have to practically force them out the door. But I hope that one day they'll come to realise that's a really important part of life. And I think as we grow up, I love that, that term that you've used, you come full circle. And that is so true, isn't it? Yeah. That you look back and you, you realise what, what treasured things you have growing up and yeah. the things that you're wanting then to share with your own family, what become priorities and important in our world. Mm. And I think if we can have those, those experiences and those adventures with our family, it's so fulfilling, isn't it? It's just mm. so precious to be able to share those things. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. And you, you've shared some amazing experiences recently with your family. We won't talk about that right now, but we will talk about that because I really want to get into your Himalayas 
journey. Um, but let's just go back to before running actually entered your world and talk about your journey with ovarian cancer, because this is a topic that I really wanted to discuss on the podcast. Um, obviously, we're all women here, and this is something that probably will touch each of our lives, whether it's us or someone we know or someone someone that we know that they know. Like, So it's something that we really all need to be aware of. Um, let's go back. It was uh, 2007, and you were 41. So only like just younger than me. I mean, I'm 45, so not that much younger than me. Um, you have two, is it two children you have? That's right. So yep. Beck, yeah, Beck yep. was 14 at that stage and Cal was 11. Yeah, so young, you know, young kids, um, just just getting into that preteen, teenage years. I know what that's like. And and you were diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Can you go and back and tell us what kind of symptoms maybe led you to think that you could have something going on with your body? Yeah, so December 2006, I just started to notice um, I, I was getting a lot tired than normal. And, and also I started to notice some abdominal swelling. And at first I was thinking, look, I'm 41. I'm not exercising at all. <laughs> perhaps this is you know, middle-age spread happening. I really need to watch my diet and perhaps start to do some exercise. And then I also noticed um, my period over Christmas was really heavy. Um, and I was a lot more emotional than normal. Mm. And I also found um, I was heading off to the toilet, um, yeah, to urinate far more frequently than normal. And so I guess, you know, initially you can kind of explain those symptoms away. They're just very general. And there wasn't anything that was specifically pointing to it being ovarian cancer. Mm. But because those symptoms persisted between my periods and they were getting progressively worse over sort of that Christmas um, in mid-January 2007 period, I thought there's, there's definitely something wrong. This is, this is not how my body normally operates. Mm. I really should make an appointment with my GP. Mm. And it's that intuition that we really need to trust when we think this is not normal for me. My, my body's not normally doing, doing this. Um, yeah. And yeah, and even though, you know, life is busy and we're thinking, I'm, I don't have time to be sick. I've got so much on in my life. But to stop and think, right, my health needs to be the priority here. Mm. Uh, so I phoned up my, my GP. Uh, he'd been our family doctor for 17 years. So I had a really great relationship with him mm. um, and was able to get an appointment that morning uh, and said, yeah, come on in, Heather, straight away. You know, let's, let's see what's going on. And I just so appreciated his care. Mm. Um, and so when I explained those signs and symptoms to him, he said, look, I'm going to send you straight away to have a CAT scan so we can get an understanding of what's going on. Um, and so he phoned the radiology uh, place for me, got me in straight away. Um, and I guess at that, that point in time, I was anxious. I thought, well, perhaps it might be, you know, an ovarian cyst. Yeah. I definitely wasn't thinking that it was cancer. Mm. Um, and I guess preparing myself to, to go in to have the CAT scan, taking off my, my normal clothes and putting on that white hospital gown, suddenly you feel your identity stripped away. You're vulnerable. Mm. You suddenly find yourself stepping into this parallel world. And... Uh, just, you know, I guess you're hearing the CAT scan whizzing and whirring and taking those, those inner pictures, um, thinking, my goodness, what, 
what is going to be revealed with these scans. Um, fortunately, they fast-tracked the results. So that afternoon, a couple of hours later, I went back to see my GP. Um, and that was the very first time that I heard my name in the same sentence as those two words, ovarian cancer. And it, it just rocks your world. It, your heart and your, your head just completely empties. And suddenly it's filled with all these questions that come tumbling in. Am I going to survive this? What stage is it? Um, what, what will this mean? I want to see my children grow up. Um, and it wasn't that I was frightened about dying. It's just that I wasn't ready. There was so much more life I was wanting to live. Mm. Um, so that, that day was such a game changer in my life that, you know, there I was at 41, just suddenly being shifted onto a whole new pathway um, that then was so uncertain yeah, compared to my normal life up until that point. Mm. Yeah. I mean, just listening back to your story, I can, one thing stands out to me is that, that intuition to listen to that voice that told you there's just something not quite right here. This isn't normal. And we can go either two ways there. So, and I know I've done it myself. Like, you know, when I found a melanoma on my leg, it was sort of like, for a while, that voice was telling me something's not right. But then, you know, that other voice says, oh, it's probably nothing. Maybe just wait on it a little bit. Like, but it's so good that you went with your gut and got it checked out early. Um, like, how long do you think that voice was going around in your head for before you actually made that call to the, your GP? It was probably about four, four to six weeks, I would say. Yeah, because yeah, just noticing those those symptoms to begin with that you think, okay, this must be yeah, me not being fit, I'm putting on weight, mm -hmm. or perhaps I'm starting to head into perimenopause. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of explain those things away. But then when you've got a few more symptoms happening and they're persisting and and my favourite red skirt one day that I couldn't fit into it at all. It was quite a dramatic um, yeah, amount of swelling that was happening with my abdomen. And I thought, this is significant and I can't yeah, ignore this anymore. I really need to have a chat with my, my doctor. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that's the thing, you know, about ovarian cancer is that, I mean, obviously that was a dramatic symptom for you that the dramatic swelling, but you know, there it's one of those silent killers. There is often no symptoms or very, you know, symptoms that are, are like other things like perimenopause, menopause, you know, back pain. Um, and you know, one of my good close best girlfriends passed away from ovarian cancer. Um, she was in her thirties. Oh. So, you know, it's not even, something that just affects older women. And this is why this, this conversation is so important is that, you know, for her, the only symptoms she had was like lower back pain. And she attributed that to, she was a police officer and she'd been pushed at work and she attributed that to the injury that she'd got from work, you know? So it, it's, it's something that I guess we all need to be aware of. Like what are some of the symptoms that people, you know, even though it is quite silent for some, that we should look out for? Yeah, definitely that lower back pain, um, change in bowel habits as well. So it can be constipation or diarrhoea. Uh, definitely heavier periods than normal. Um, feeling really full when you've only eaten a small amount, which is really, an, yeah, 
quite unusual when you think about your appetite is normally good and then when it changes to that. Um, yeah, and definitely the fatigue factor. That's, in talking to a lot of other women, that's been a very key symptom, that they've felt this fatigue very early on mm. uh, and just, I guess, attributing that to, to being busy or stressed or yeah, so much going on in life, um, okay. needing more sleep. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So kind of the general ones and, yeah, the abdominal bloating and, and that it, it continues, that it doesn't yeah, come and go with your periods, that you realise that this is not just hormonal but this is something yeah, a little bit more than that. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and not to be embarrassed. That's a really big yeah. thing. I found a lot of women are very, I don't know, unsure, a little bit embarrassed about, you know, even, you know, talking to their doctor or even to friends and family, mm. thinking about, you know, it's those bits down there. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's, the, that's yeah. a big thing, like, and that's why conversations like this are so important because we need to normalise these conversations, yeah. that it's okay to talk about them and share and you know i've been there myself going to the gp thinking oh i'm probably just a little bit over the top here but would you rather be over the top i would so yeah. like and find then find if there is something really wrong with you so you know it's such an important thing that we are talking and discussing this openly because who knows who's listening to this today they might be having these exact symptoms and they go get checked out and they find it early in terms of ovarian cancer, like, you know, early diagnosis is quite key. Um, what are some of the statistics around ovarian cancer in Australia? Yeah, so here in Australia, every day there are five women diagnosed. Um, and sadly, there are three women who pass away each day. Mm. The survival rate beyond five years is only about 46 to 48% at the moment. And that hasn't improved over the last you know, 30 years or so. Mm. Um, and if it is found early, then your chances of survival are just so much better that you can have that surgery, you can have the, the chemotherapy mm. um, and it will, yeah, it is treatable, it is curable. Um, yeah, but sadly, a lot of women um, are, are diagnosed in a later stage. Um, yeah. yeah. And so it's about getting that message out and also um, letting women know that pap smears don't detect ovarian cancer. I've spoken with a lot of people and they, they seem to think that, that yeah, the pap smear will pick up anything that's to, you know, to do with those bits down there, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. It's just for cervical cancer. So, yeah, just to, to really, I think, yeah, just... Uh, follow your intuition and know your body and yeah and just act when when you do notice any changes in your body at all mm, yeah I've asked that question before because I've had um you know with my GP because I have had uh the uh blood tests that can detect ovarian cancer in your body because I've had some cysts before and things like that and because my friend has passed away from it, I always ask for the blood test <laughs> because I think, I don't even know, maybe I had to pay for it or I don't know, but I was like, I'll pay for it. <laughs> like, I just want to know. So um, there is a blood test if you're having symptoms that I think can detect um, that. But right. Yes, it's called CA125. So yeah. if those levels are higher, then that's, yeah, that's a definite indicator that yeah, potentially you can have ovarian cancer or another type of um, gynecological cancer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I thought we'd say that. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the journey for you then. Like what happened after that initial, uh, like 
life-changing moment when you're sitting in the doctor's office and they tell you you have ovarian cancer? What was one going through your head and then what kind of things did they put in place for you? Yeah, so I guess after that initial shock, um, I'm the type of person, if I have a plan in place, then I know that I can cope and my emotions don't get the better of me. So I said to my doctor, well, where do we go to from here? What, what strategy can we put in place um, to, to see, you know, to, I guess to, to guarantee or to improve my survival? Mm. So he said, well, the, the best thing is um, to go and uh, get a referral to a gynecological surgeon. Um, but you will need surgery. Um, so again, he, he referred me on, made the phone call. I was able to get in to see a gynecological surgeon a couple of days later, who happened to be my obstetrician who, who oh. delivered Beck. So to have a familiar face um, yeah. and to a lovely trusted person um, just meant the world to me. So met with him. He sent me to have an ultrasound. Uh, he examined me scheduled me for surgery seven days later. Mm-hmm. So I'm so grateful. It, it was fast-tracked. Um, and even though, you know, in those, I guess, nine, it was nine days from that day of diagnosis to when surgery happened, even though in that time, you know, you're so anxious thinking, you know, is it growing? You know, what's my mm-hmm. survival going to be like? Uh, I just want to get surgery over and done with. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about coping um, with the support of family and friends in that time. Uh, and then yeah, the day of surgery arrived and it's, it's a big day because, you know, you realise I'm not going into work today. Life's, life's very different from today onwards and what will this surgery reveal? Mm. And you're just hoping and praying that they're able to remove all the cancer. Um, yeah, so I had a total hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has then sent me directly into menopause. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, um, yeah, that's managed with hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, my tumour by that stage had grown to being about 18 centimetres in diameter. Wow. wow. Um, it was an immature teratoma. Um, so it had sort of large sections within it that had turned cancerous. Mm-hmm. But I was incredibly fortunate that it was contained within a cyst. So wow. those cyst walls had contained that cancer, so it was still stage one, that it hadn't spread into, like further into my ovary or into my abdomen or my lymph nodes. It was absolutely just amazing. And my surgeon was able to remove that successfully without it rupturing. So I am just so grateful for the care that I've received and that it was found in time. Well, I mean, I'm just... I'm just thinking 18 centimetres. Like, that's like, it's like probably like that big. Yes. One for your abdomen. And you must, were you in pain? Yeah, it was, it was starting to get painful and it had grown mm. from that first CT scan on my day diagnosis. It was 10 centimetres. Wow. It was quite a dramatic growth. Um, yeah, very aggressive uh, tumour. Mm. Uh, yeah, so by the time I, I remember I was on the hospital trolley being wheeled into surgery and I did I looked like I was pregnant it was yes certainly causing that that much abdominal swelling Mm, wow I mean I'm just so thankful to God that your tumor was contained in that cyst and that you know it was stage one not to discount the fact that you still had ovarian cancer like and but 15 years later you're still sitting here talking to us and sharing this story so I mean, that's just amazing that, you know, 
this, I, I really am a firm believer that things happen to us for a reason. And like, maybe this was the reason is that this, this journey through ovarian cancer has literally changed your life in more ways than one. Like, you know, you've gone from being a not non-active person to using, I guess, your journey with ovarian cancer, um, to share your story and raise awareness in the most active of ways. Um, and we'll get into that, but like, how does that make you feel now 15 years down the track to know that your story could have been so different, but you were one of the lucky ones. Yes. Uh, I, every day I wake up absolutely filled with gratitude. Not a day goes by that I, I don't reflect in some way on that, that day of diagnosis or the journey mm-hmm. and, and how life has changed dramatically. And I do, I do, I do a lot of reflecting. And, and, and one of the things I've come to realise that often our most challenging points in life, our lowest points, the points where we're feeling so vulnerable and raw, can be dramatic turning points in our life where we can pick ourselves up and face that challenge um, and also with the support of others uh, and really thinking about purpose in life and growing through it and getting stronger and more resilient mm-hmm. and then holding on to that hope um, and just then thinking, I have to make the most of life from here on. I, I have a second chance right now yeah. and let's, let's take things on from here and not hold back and not be that shy <laughs> little child within, but to be brave and to have mm-hmm. a go at trying things that perhaps are outside our comfort zone. And um, yeah, so I've, that's definitely how that has shifted so dramatically in my life. And it's given me so much, I guess, purpose too, to, to, to share the message uh, about the signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer mm-hmm. and also to, um, yeah, to, to raise that awareness and funds to help with cancer research, to help other people. I'm incredibly passionate about that, mm-hmm. that, you know, we're here for a purpose to help other people, aren't we? To make life better for others, to make this world a more positive place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, definitely my faith comes into that. And, and, and I think if we can get to the, yeah, the end of our days, knowing that we have made a difference, then, then that is a life well lived. Mm. Oh, I'm just tearing up. Like, I'm just, oh, I can't, oh, I don't even know if I can go on. <laughs> I just, I'm just like, I'm just so grateful to people like you, Heather, because you just make the world a better place. <laughs> Now I am really getting emotional. <laughs> but Nicole, so do you. I, I think back to when I first heard about Running Mums Australia and I was actually on my way to the North Pole feeling a little anxious about what I'd signed up for. And when I, I came across your group on Facebook and the, the encouragement and the warmth and that sense of community and my cousin had actually done a post saying, my crazy cousin Heather is off to the North Pole. And the beautiful comments that people made, oh. that gave me so much more strength and courage. Mm. And I'm just so glad to have the opportunity to share that with you because I love the community that you have created. And we're not alone. That's how I see so many mums that we know we're not alone and we're here for each other. Yeah. That's life changing. Oh, <laughs> oh. Absolutely it is. I just, I just feel like it's just so uh, beautiful when you just see someone's story so woven, like, uh, like, you know, the purpose that you now have through your story, it's just incredible. And when I, you know, I think back to, you know, my friend Natalie, who wasn't, 
you know, so fortunate to make it through ovarian cancer. And yet, you know, there was a plan for you to change the lives of so many. Like, I just, I just feel so entirely grateful for that. So anyway, that's why I'm getting so emotional. (laughs) But anyway, let's get into the running journey now, because this ovarian cancer journey led you here to these incredible things that you do. Um, And I do want to highlight, and I know that you want to highlight the fact that you do these amazing things, yet you're just an everyday mum like the rest of us just having a go. And that's what I love highlighting on this podcast is that we can, we all have it within us to do anything we put our mind to. We obviously have to do the work to get there. But, you know, it was about five years after your um, treatment and your journey and diagnosis with cancer that you decided to set yourself a little challenge to start running. And it was the Mother's Day Classic. That was your first race. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about how that came to be and what that experience was like for you? Because this is where it all began for you. I I reflect back on that time and it's still so clear. And I remember sitting at the dinner table one night and Uh, Yeah, I think I'd seen a story on the news and it was highlighting about the Mother's Day Classic. And for several years, it was just in the back of my mind thinking, that's something I would love to do. I mean, I love croissants and coffee in bed (laughs) for Mother's Day, but this had always been something that I thought about maybe one day, maybe just one day, maybe I could walk that. (laughs) So I said to the kids that dinner that night, I said, hey, guess what, guys? let's run the 4K Mother's Day Classic. And they looked at me and said, Mom, <laughs> what? <laughs> <You> can't run. <laughs> and I said, come on, let's, let's give this a go. Let's, let's do it. So after dinner, we'd signed up and I, yeah, I ordered the pink T-shirt and the pink hat. Uh, and I said to the kids, look, I'll pick you up from school tomorrow afternoon and we'll go to Centennial Park. And within Centennial Park, there's that perfect, you know, 3.6 yep. uh, circuit that you can run on that bitumen path. So at this stage, I had no idea about race nutrition and I didn't have any running gear at all. So I was rummaging around in my my wardrobe and I had my old pair of gardening shorts and a stripy T-shirt and an old pair of clunky white runners. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we set off to the park and I was really hungry. I I hadn't eaten since an early lunch. And uh, I said to the kids, okay, uh, do we stretch? How do do we approach this? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, they'd done some cross-country races. So they said, yeah, mum, do a few stretches. And then what we'll do, we'll just take take it from here. We'll run slowly. And there are water bubblers if we need to stop for a drink. So that was fantastic. So off we went. <laughs> and my son, Cal, you know, he couldn't help himself. So he was just tearing off and he was yeah. like, not, not in the distance in no time. <laughs> and my daughter, Beck, was running beside me going, come on, mum, this is great. Oh. And um, about a kilometre in, my legs were tired. <laughs> <laughs> I was hot and flush and I was hungry. And I, I saw the, a water bubbler and I thought, great, here's a good excuse. I can perhaps save a bit of face and say, I'm just going to stop for a drink. Um, had a drink and continued on. And my legs were like concrete. And, <laughs> and I actually sat down on a sandstone, the, one of the sandstone blocks there. And I put my head in my hands and I thought, this is really hard. What have I signed up for? <laughs> um, and in that moment, I thought to myself, look, when we are facing challenges, we are faced with the choice of either giving up 
or pushing through. And even though it might be uncomfortable and it's hard and we don't feel great, but to get to the end of something, that fulfillment that we will feel, it's, it's gonna be really worth it. Um, so I picked myself up and kind of shuffled along <laughs> and got to the end of that, that loop. And I hugged the kids and I said, we're going to be back here tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm, going to, I'm going to go and buy a running top and some pink shorts and I'm, going to, I'm sure I'll do better tomorrow and I'll have a little snack before we run. <laughs> and so that's what we did. We went back to the park every afternoon and I could see the improvement and, and the change that I saw within myself. And it was so exciting. And, and then, you know, that was two and a half weeks that we had to train. It wasn't very long. And then mm. that Mother's Day arrived. And I'll never forget being in the middle of this excited sea of people and, and that crush of a, a start line and, and hearing the hooter go off and running out. It was so exhilarating. And to have, you know, Beck and Cal there by my side, and as we ran you know, down past Mrs. Macquarie's chair, it was just such the most beautiful day and the harbour was sparkling, the sky was blue. And this moment, this light bulb moment inside, it was as if I, you know, I suddenly realised that I actually love running. Mm. And this is something brand new. And today's not going to be the last race. This is not just going to be this one-off 4K run that I do that this is going to be the beginning. And when I get to the finish line today, that's going to be the start of a brand new journey. And I'm going to hop on my computer and find another race that perhaps is a little bit further mm -hmm. and that I can share with Beck and Cal. And, and I'm going to grow and thrive through this, this yeah, running. And um, mm -hmm. so that was the very beginning. <laughs> wow. And there are some days I can still totally relate to, to that 41-year-old that mum. Sorry, no, by that stage I was 40. Yeah, 46, 47. Um, yeah, I can still relate to her that, that, you know, when you stand on the start line of something new, that it is exciting, it's scary, you don't know what the future is going to hold. But boy, it's worth it giving something a shot and uh, getting out there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Was it worth it? Um, I mean, when you think back to that day, like 4Ks at the Mother's Day Classic and you've gone on from there to do so many incredible things and I, would, I wouldn't even call them races, I'd call them adventures and journeys. Like, you know, the next big thing, I think it was you did the Sydney Marathon and then, you know, you've run, I'm just going to say some of the things you've done. So you've run the North Pole Marathon. You've done the World Marathon Challenge, which was seven marathons in seven continents in seven days. And my husband said to me last night, you should do that. And I was like, um, let me just talk to Heather first. Uh, the Volcano <laughs> Marathon in Chile. You've done Marathon Disables in Morocco, which was a seven-day stage race, which we'll talk about. You've hiked 1,700 kilometres on the Great Himalaya Trail. You've done the Outback, um, the track, which was a 10-day race over 520 kilometers through the outback from Alice Springs to Uluru. Like you have just done the most incredible things. When you think back to your four Ks at the Mother's Day Classic, you know, can you believe the adventures that running has taken you on? I can't, honestly. I I would have had no idea. <laughs> no <laughs> inkling. <laughs> no inkling. And and just I guess I didn't realise that 
that I had that within me. And I, and I think that's flown over into other areas of my life. And I see it so often in friends as well, that, that you realize that you are capable of things that are far beyond what, what you really do believe at one point in your life, that you can grow and thrive and push those boundaries of your comfort zone a little further out. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, <laughs> But as you say, yeah, for me, they are adventures and they're, they're opportunities to, to grow and to share with family. And also it's a, it's a fantastic, I guess, vehicle for me, yeah, to, I guess, to raise funds and raise awareness as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I go in with so, so many different reasons. And, um, but one thing that I have loved uh, is definitely getting out in the environment into beautiful locations that just take your breath away. Mm-hmm. And that adds so much to those, those races that you do that, uh, yeah, you realise what an amazing world uh, this really is and to get out there and explore. Oh, I'm with you there. I mean, since I started running on the road, that's where I started and then I've gone into trails and now I'm all about the adventures. Like, okay, I'm going to sign up to this race because I get to see this. Like, it's just... For me, it's more about the experience now, you know, it's about who and who I can bring along for that experience and who can I share it with. And I don't know, just that whole like encompassing experience of being in the elements. And I don't know, I just love it. I just, that's for me, the purpose around why I do what I do now with running. Um, Obviously, sometimes I attach cause to that as well. It just depends. But um, yeah, I just want to explore. I just want to explore the world with running. Yes. Let's talk about some of these experiences now because I really want to dive into some of them because I would love to know what they are like and maybe one day I might attempt them myself. So the first one I want to talk to you about is the North Pole Marathon, which was your first big overseas running experience, was it not? Yeah, it was. It was, yes. So what was it like for you? I mean, you competed. It was freezing cold. I want to know, firstly, how did you train for that? Why did you sign up for it? And what was it like? <laughs> this, this race was a massive game changer in my world. And it was actually, the, I guess, the seed of the idea came from the start line at the Melbourne Marathon. And I'd caught up with a good friend of mine. And he just happened to, it was this throwaway line as we were standing there. And he said, hey, Heather, have you heard about those marathons that they run on ice? And I said, I, what? <laughs> on ice? What? <laughs> like you, I very much, I'd been uh, running on the roads with the, you know, the Sydney yeah. Melbourne Marathon. And um, anyway, that entire marathon, the starter gun went off and I was thinking about running, wow, with the penguins and running on ice and what that must be. And, <laughs> and, and as soon as I finished that marathon, I, I went back to my laptop and Googled, yeah, marathons run on ice. And there was one in Antarctica but there were, no, there were no spaces available for that next year. Okay. So I kind of filed that away. And then um, it was our wedding anniversary in Paris in, in um, March 2015. And, of course, I thought, oh, hey, maybe the, the Paris Marathon's on, as you do, don't you? Yeah, I'm yeah. heading overseas, there might be something. <laughs> but I was too late to sign up. Um, it would have worked out perfectly, but registrations, it was completely full and they were closed. So I Googled any other marathons in Europe at that time of year and up popped the North Pole Marathon. <gasps> like just the hardest one. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I said, hey, dog, guess what? <laughs> <He's> like, oh. <laughs> I found a marathon that, that could work while we're away on our yeah, wedding anniversary trip. <laughs> and he said, why don't you do it? Go for it. Because I was also turning 50 that year. Mm-hmm. And so I signed up and it was it was January, the height of summer in Sydney. And the North Pole Marathon is in April. Uh, and so yeah, paid the deposit and then thought, how do you actually train <laughs> for yeah. a marathon that is generally in about minus 28, minus 30 degrees? It's run on um, a oh snowy God. layer on an ice flow at the geographic North Pole. What do you wear? What do you eat? Yeah. Oh, all this suddenly, the, you know, the questions that you're needing to, to research and find answers for. Um, so I'm fortunate I live at Coogee and we've got the beach here. And so I thought, you know what, perhaps running in the soft sand would be very similar to running in snow. So I did, I, I took myself off to down the beach and if I got hot, I'd jump in the water, have a bit of a swim, cool off, get back, <laughs> back on the sand. Uh, and I, I built up the kilometres as I would just for a normal road marathon as well. So I headed off to Centennial Park and along the coast to run to Bondi. Um, and then I bought thermals, top and bottoms, balaclava, um, beanies, yeah, hand warmers. I got Salomon <laughs> trail runners, um, a couple of size bigger so I could fit my, my hiking, uh, yeah, very warm woolly socks in. Yeah. And I remember clearly going to buy uh, my, a pair of ski goggles uh, in at the local ski shop in town. And of course, you know, the shop assistant was going, oh yeah, where are you going skiing, Heather? And I said, hey, I'm going off to run a marathon at the North Pole. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what? <laughs> thinking, he thinks I'm mad. <laughs> uh, that, that was, you know, gathering all of that gear and then, um, yes, the race nutrition, thinking that's not going to freeze. Um, and I, I made a great playlist on my phone. Uh, and then thought, okay, I'm ready. And uh, so we celebrated our wedding anniversary in Paris, flew up to Longyearbyen in Svalbard in northern Norway, met the other race uh, participants, and there were 44 of us wow. um, all over the world, uh, and then headed off in an old Antonov aircraft to land on an oh. ice floe and every year a research expedition base is set up on the most substantial stable ice flow up there mm-hmm. and it's it's there for six weeks and then that ice flow drifts south and melts so you're very much aware it's a very temporary <laughs> place where you, you are and it's it's frozen ocean when you scrape that layer of snow off the top you see this beautiful blue translucent ice and it's it's just amazing to you know to realize that's where you are and and then thinking I actually have to run a marathon oh, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> wow. yeah is so there a, like is there like you obviously are doing like loops on the ice flow um is is it quite um smooth or what's the what's the landscape actually like as you're running this marathon it's quite, quite rough. It was a lot rougher than what I was expecting because there are several ice flows that kind of 
bumped together. And so there's these ridges and there's also these little cracks that appear. Right. And uh, yeah, if you peer down them, you can see the ocean. So, oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, and our, our uh, course took us uh, around the, the base and around the graded airstrip. Um, there was only like a 50 metre strip uh, that was graded, that was smooth. The rest, mm. yeah, it was quite rough ice, um, slippery sections. They're okay. a bit like running on ice. Um, okay. Yeah, so it, it was those 12 laps that we were running and every lap you would pop into the, uh, the, the tent, the medical tent, where they had a couple of doctors uh, and other race support people who would keep an eye on you to make sure that you didn't have hypothermia or mm. have frostbite, mm. um, that you're okay. Uh, oh, and they would, they, would, yeah, they would check you thoroughly and ask you questions. And uh, yes, yes. So, I mean, that was great. Each lap you kind of had in your head, yay, I'm going to go into the warmth of that tent. <laughs> yes, I'm going back out again. Yeah, <laughs> that's what right. It, what did it take for you to get back out of that tent? Like, I mean, it would have been nice in there. <laughs> <laughs> it was. You could defrost your goggles and then you could kind of tell people, you know, going, please don't make me go back out there. <laughs> so um, what, would, what would one lap have taken? How, how long for one lap? That's a good question because it was about 3.8K. Mm -hmm. The whole race took me six hours and 57 minutes. Um, okay, well, and, yeah, so it's a long time yeah. that you're out there in the elements. Yeah. And definitely that whole action of, you know, your feet sinking or being a bit unstable, yeah, is really energy sapping. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, and you do lose track of time out there. And you, you, you can't also tell where you are in the race. Everybody looks the same in their big bulky outfits. Mm. Was it <laughs> snowing at the time or...? When we started, it wasn't. It was actually beautiful blue sky with a mild breeze. It was only minus 28. Wow. Uh, only. And, and <laughs> only. <laughs> and the beauty is up there, because you're so far north, the sun doesn't actually set. It kind of treks around the horizon and it's golden and it's this beautiful light. Um, and so those first few laps, you know, you're settling in and you've, you're so excited. And uh, um, I was listening to my music and my phone froze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm grateful for that because then I... It was a far more profound race. I was left alone with my thoughts and my emotions and every lap I had chosen 12 different people to dedicate that lap to. Um, it was quite emotional. I actually cried a little bit and then realised my tears are going to freeze. I can't cry. <laughs> keep your... <laughs> keep letting no cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just beautiful because, I mean, this was really quite a profound race for you because it was... I guess the biggest thing you'd ever done and some, an experience so far out of your comfort zone. I mean, you couldn't really take yourself any further out of your comfort zone really than to be running in minus 28 degrees on a, an ice flow in the middle of nowhere. I mean, and, and, and arriving there on a treacherous plane ride. <laughs> like I just think with people that didn't speak English, like it was just like the most far out of your comfort zone you could go. So what did that experience teach you? Like, and I mean, I guess too, I wanted to note that you were the first place female in this event, like your first big international race. What did this whole experience teach you about life at that point? It, it taught me so much. And I realized that in life, we are the combination of all the, the people that we've been in the past, you know, that 
I keep referring to, you know, that, that shy little schoolgirl, the, the awkward teenager who was bullied at school and never thought that she was beautiful or good enough. Mm. Um, yeah, the, I guess the, you know, the sleep deprived mum with toddlers, you know, the 41 year old mum having a cancer diagnosis. That, yeah, all those people that we've been in the past has brought us to that very point where we are in our life right now. And that equips us. Mm -hmm. and gives us that strength and that resilience and that ability to cope with whatever comes our way. Mm -hmm. and, and for me, that race just seemed to bring together, gather together all those parts of my life and, and yeah, not having that support from any, anybody else and being there, I guess, almost alone in that race um, was a, quite a confronting experience but a very empowering one as well because for me, I was learning to trust my body again, learning to, to feel strong again after getting through cancer yeah. and breaking out and not being defined by that and mm. realising I've got the strength to get through this and get through it well and enjoy this experience. And sometimes when there's no comfort to be found on the outside, that we can look within us and find that comfort within, mm. that we can have those positive words those positive affirmations we can reflect back on you know wonderful situations we've been in in the past where we've felt safe and warm and hold those within and that's that's what can get us through that you know that one step after the other in that deep snow and as the conditions changed it dropped to minus 41 but wow. i still pushed through that mm. nothing was going to stop me that day and mm. i still get really emotional because it was a, a massive shift for me in realizing that I was capable and I was worthy enough and to cross that finish line in first place was was so empowering and so exciting mm. so humbling I was so grateful to have that whole experience and that was then just such a beautiful stepping stone for me to try something new and yeah and be brave enough to try something else <laughs> yeah let's talk about the next one then so not only you know were you going to try another marathon you were going to try the world marathon challenge which as i said before was seven marathons in seven days across seven different continents. I mean, what was that like? You're traveling from place to place and then having to wake up and back up running a marathon every single day. It is the craziest week. <laughs> <laughs> and at first when I was reading about this, I thought surely time zones are taken into consideration. You, you must be able to gain some time, but no. Yeah. The clock starts in Antarctica on that glacier and then you have seven days <laughs> to wow. finish those seven races. And the race these days, they have their own chartered plane. But back when we were doing it, we were hopping on commercial flights. Wow. We were at the mercy of customs and luggage wow. <laughs> and uh, flights being on time. But it was it was wonderful race to share. There were you know a group of people. There weren't many of us, fifteen of us, um, and. And just to get out there and give it a go and see how your body holds up and your mind and your yes and what it's like to to run a marathon uh, and then hop on a plane try and recover eat airline food uh, get get into the bus and head off to the start line and run another, another marathon so it was i don't know how you do it <laughs> challenging there were definitely you know high points and there were definitely some low points yeah, where you're <laughs> just thinking oh you know it was a great idea but what what am I thinking 
<laughs> what places did you go? Like which, where were each of the marathons? What, what places? So the first one was in, in Antarctica at the Union Glacier. Um, and then from there, we flew back to Chile. To the tip of Chile, there's a little town called Punta Arenas. And so we ran our second marathon there. Mm -hmm. I jumped onto a plane, uh, which was delayed by the wild winds. Punta Arenas is notorious for wild winds. We were delayed a couple of hours. So you can imagine our anxiety was building. <laughs> this yeah. could derail the whole thing. Yeah. But fortunately, we took off, landed in Miami at uh, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, got to the beachfront and these these are marathons that are just just run for for us so they're not part of you know bigger marathons where you've got you know the encouragement of crowds and aid stations you're pretty much self-sufficient yes. uh, and you're running yeah with your I guess I had my Salomon pack on and yeah so we were running along the beachfront as the the city was waking up and people were going what are you guys doing yeah. <laughs> and then from Miami we headed to Madrid uh, ran in a, a park in central Madrid. That one was quite hilly. That was really tough. Um, and that's where probably my lowest point happened. I was about 500 metres from the finish line. The sun was setting. Um, I took my sunglasses off and just looking up the sky and I tripped over. Uh, just, oh, grazed my knees, hands, elbows. Fortunately, nothing was broken, but that it completely winded me. And mm -hmm. uh, it just completely took the wind out of my sails. I, I hobbled to the finish line. Um, the first aid lady was so kind. And when people are kind to you, <laughs> you start to cry. <laughs> oh, oh, and I just curled up in the back of the bus on the way to the airport, knowing I only have a few hours till the start line in Marrakesh. <laughs> I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> uh, I think I want to go home. <laughs> um, so we, we got to the, the start line at midnight at that that beautiful city square in Marrakesh. And I thought, I'm gonna take some deep breaths and I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna run around this uh, 42 Ks. And, you know, amazingly in life, sometimes when we are at those points, that can be the most special, most profound time. And running through the night, I, yeah, I, I, I cried a lot. And I was, I was so grateful, you know, to be there. And, and as a survivor, again, I thought a lot about that as I was, I was um, yeah, clocking out those, those Ks um, and, and put the Bee Gees on <laughs> to run to a bit of music. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then from, from Marrakesh, we flew to Dubai and ran along the beachfront there. And then the final marathon was in Sydney along the promenade at Manly. And we started at about 11.30 on a Friday night. And uh, it was so lovely to see family and my friends from the surf club and, and neighbours uh, all there along to cheer. And they were cheering, you know, everybody on. And, and uh, it, was, it was so fantastic. And we had it until 8 a.m. that morning to finish. Uh, and I was able to yeah, finish before the sun rose and mm. get to that finish line and go, thank Goodness, there's not an eighth <laughs> continent. <laughs> it is done. <laughs> wow, what an achievement. I mean, I've run a marathon on the weekend and I'm still recovering. So, I mean, that's four days now. I don't even know how you back up into a marathon in like, every place in seven days, seven times. Like, I just think that's incredible. So, well done to you. Um, 
that obviously taught you a huge lesson in resilience um, and in pushing through when times get hard. And you had people in your mind and, and your journey in the back of your mind to help keep you going. What um, I want to talk about the, the other experience you had going to the Himalayas because it was a little bit of a different experience to a race. Um, obviously a lot more drawn out. So this journey was with your two children and you hiked the 1700 kilometers, which is just blows my mind of the great Himalaya trail in Nepal, which took five months. So let's just quickly talk about that. Like that's a totally different experience to these races where um, you're immersed in the culture and the surroundings of Nepal up in the beautiful, beautiful mountains. Like, can you just, I know we could be here all day. There's so many things I want to cover, but do you want to just quickly talk to us about why you decided to do that experience? It was in 2016. Um, and what were some of the highlights of that journey? Yeah, one of the key reasons for, for going on that experience was I wanted to share something really special with Beck and Cal before they grew up and I guess yeah, went off and, and um, yeah, went their separate ways, I guess, in life. So we'd been to Everest Base Camp in 2013, um, but it was the middle of winter. We'd signed up again on a whim. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, as cold as that, <laughs> and as cold and as challenging as that was, there was something inside us that was drawing us back to Nepal and we thought if we can find a trek that's a little bit longer than that, and that one was 14 days, um, yeah, if we can find something that would take us perhaps further up into the mountains, we can actually climb high passes and experience the culture and really immerse ourselves, then that would be fantastic. And then World Expeditions have this wonderful trip called the Great Himalayan Trail. And the Nepalese section of it uh, goes from the east border all the way to the west to the Tibetan border. And yeah, it's 1,750 kilometres. Uh, there are 16 high passes. Wow. You start in the, the majestic Kachanjunga region and you trek west. And Nepal is actually 800 kilometres wide. And when you realise if we trekked 1,750, you realise how much up and down mm. <laughs> that that contained. It was the most wonderful, life-changing experience to, to share that, particularly with Beck and Cal. And there were moments where there was role reversal, where they were looking after me. Mm. which was, that was incredible. I was just so proud of them and so grateful to have them there, particularly with Callum helping me up on the fixed lines, you know, wearing your, your harness and your helmet oh, and uh, with your climbing hardware, um, yeah, navigating that and and uh, thinking, oh, my goodness, I am really out of my comfort zone with this one. Yeah. <laughs> what are you actually thinking, like, when you're up there looking down <laughs> up on a high pass? Like, can you actually believe you're there? <laughs> It's at times it's very surreal and then at times you're going oh my goodness this is really high and it's slippery and where do I put my feet and what, what do I do next and you realize it's very much that strategy of one step at a time figuring out yeah your your way through and 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 how to cope with the altitude and before you know it you're at the top of the pass and the wind is blowing in your face and the views are spectacular the mountains stretch on forever um, and our beautiful Sherpas and, and guides got to know them so well and we really made an effort of learning Nepalese so that we could talk and, and they became like family for us and it was the most profound 
beautiful journey that it really taught me to live in the moment, to live simply, to tread lightly. Um, I kept a journal um, and every day I wrote in that and it's a real source of, um, yeah, of joy to go back and open up those pages and read and read back. Um, but certainly, yeah, highs and lows with, with every running event, this trek, you know, had its wonderful highs where you're looking at Everest and, and you're looking at the sunrise and you're, you're experiencing, you know, the cold or you're seeing the rhododendrons bloom. Mm. But then the monsoons caught us when we were in the Western regions, in the shaly, uh, muddy region, oh. uh, and our tents got flooded and we got cold. We, we lost a lot of weight. I lost six kilos. Wow. I, I came home and I was 49 kilos. Oh um, <laughs> so fit and lean, but, yeah, our reserves were, were totally used up. Um, so we were, we were very happy by the time we reached the, the Tibetan border. We, it was time to go home as much <laughs> as it had been wonderful. It was time to come home and uh, yeah, sit at Kuji headland and have a coffee, yeah. <laughs> have a swim and uh, eat. <laughs> and like what a, what a stark contrast that is, like sitting at Kuji having a coffee compared to being up in the high pass in the, in the Himalayas. Like it's just... It's almost like that's why I kind of think, can you hardly believe you're there when you're there? Like it's kind of just so different. And I, I just love that you've you've taken yourself and your children out of your comfort zones for such an experience because when we do that, when we take ourselves out of our comfort zone is when we learn the greatest lessons in life. And I just think that is just beautiful that you guys did that together. I mean, what did it mean to you to actually share that experience with your kids? Oh, I get so emotional uh, thinking about it. it the, the bonds, that really special bonds, it takes that relationship you have as a parent with your children to that next level. And to have those conversations, the time to have those conversations as you're walking along each day, uh, you know, you can really dig down deep um, and just sh share so much together. I, I will cherish that experience for the rest of my life. And if I can encourage anyone who's listening today to go and do something like that with your family, to, yeah, to, to give your relationship that time to nurture it. Um, it was a really precious time. And, yeah, and definitely well, we would love to, to revisit Nepal or somewhere else where we can yeah, have that experience again. Um, yeah, and just keep growing as a family. Mm, I love that. Let's talk about a very opposite journey, <laughs> completely <laughs> opposite to the North Pole and the Himalayas was when you did in 2018 Marathon Disables. And we have a little documentary that people can see of you running that race. I watched it at the um, Run Nation Film Festival, which is amazing. And I re-watched a little bit of it yesterday because I was like, just wanting to prepare myself for today. And I was quite emotional watching it again because I saw the emotion in you as you were going through that journey. That race um, was in Morocco, self-sufficient. How many kilometres was it? Yeah, it was 250 kilometres in seven days. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you have to carry everything. You, you obviously sleep. Um, did you have to run at night at all in that race? We did. There was one long stage, which was overnight. It was, I think it was 78 Ks, that one, yeah. um, which was lovely to, to not have the heat of that Sahara and desert sun. Um, but then it did get really cold at the same stage. But otherwise, the, it was a multi-stage race. So you would run that, the distance each day. 
and then get to a set campsite um, and you were sharing your tent. Well, when I say a tent, <laughs> it was a Bedouin tent, which was this big strip of material and a, a, a little piece of carpet that you were sharing with six other people. <laughs> yeah. And were they just six randoms from anywhere? Were they Australians or...? No, they, yeah, they do try to group you with your nationality. So, yeah, I, I, was, I had guys and we had one random South African guy. <laughs> he, got with, he got with the Aussie. Aussie. But, I mean, how did you prepare? I mean, once again, you were back on the sand um, because that race is just all sand and rocks. I was watching and I was thinking, yeah, no, no, I would not be doing that. Like sand is like my worst nightmare. I go backwards on sand. I'm so bad at it, but I'm going to have to go for a run with you on the sand. You'll have to teach me how to run on sand because I think you've probably mastered the art by now. Um, but what was it like out there? I mean, it looks amazing. Um, and there were some moments for you that got quite challenging. Obviously it's going to get quite challenging when you're running that far each day and backing up again. Um, but you, you know, you had terrible blisters towards the end, but, now, what was that experience like for you in yet another location and also having to carry all the gear this time um, and also, you know, pushing through when it got hard? Yes. Yeah, so so to, to train for something like this, uh, yeah, you need to, I guess, get the, the right gear. And again, you're thinking, okay, I need to get gaiters to keep the sand out. I need to have my Salomon Trail runners. I need to get a backpack that's not going to wobble around or yeah, be too heavy. Um, so, and what else? Um, yeah, and I guess get your food that you, you know is going to be nourishing enough but not really heavy. So researching all of that. And I kind of, I love doing my homework with races. And uh, for me, I, I you know, really thrive in finding, you know, the, the thing that's going to be the lightest uh, yeah, and what will work. Um, and it's about then getting, getting that all in order in your backpack, making sure it all fits, that it doesn't weigh too much. Ideally, you know, if it can be about eight, eight and a half kilos, then add your water on each day. It's not going to be too heavy, but it really slows you down and, yeah, you just get really tired very quickly. Mm. So gathering that all together and then realising I, I need to train with this gear as yeah. well and looking a little bit loopy running around the park <laughs> with my backpack, almost looking like a commando. Yeah. <laughs> um, and training on that soft sand. And, yes, I would love to catch up with you and, and we can run together on the soft sand. Um, and I had to work really, yeah, really hard on my core because I found if you can keep a good strong core, that helps you from wobbling around too much. Um, so a lot of cross training as well. Uh, and then that's right, flying over and starting that race. And um, yeah, and it is so hot. The Sahara is so hot. And even though it's April, not the height of summer, it's, you know, during the day, it gets up into the 40s. Oh, wow. um, uh, yeah, and I guess most days are around about, you know, the 30K mark. There is that long stage, um, which goes overnight. Um, and there are, yeah, there are cutoff times as well. And if you don't make it within a certain cutoff time, unfortunately, yeah, you're packed up and you're, you're sent back to Wazazet. Uh, so, you've, yeah, you have that pressure of knowing I need to finish uh, each day. 
Yeah, and it is. It's it's about managing that fatigue, the the blisters, because even though you do your very best, sand still gets in, and your feet do swell and rub against your shoes. Mm. So yeah, you're continually, you know, stopping to put band aids on. Um, you need to stay hydrated. That's so key out there. Um, and I yeah, I did. I found it a really emotional race, and I think. Um, and the lead up to, to it as well, I'd spent a lot of time yeah, raise, fundraising for Ovarian Cancer Australia. And I had my two teal ribbons on my pack and, you know, I would look at them flapping in that, that desert heat and it would just remind me, you know, of the reason why I was out there running. Mm. Um, and getting over those rocky jebels, those mountains, I, I had no idea. They were so steep and so shaly and rough. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, so there are definitely lots of challenges thrown in, mm. but you find a way of coping and you find a way of staying positive. Mm. It's, that's just, you know, the really crucial thing that if, if you do find yourself going down that rabbit hole and really you know, finding yourself not coping and, and starting to get negative, that just slows you right down. Um, so, yeah, it's about staying positive and, and continuing on and not giving up and remembering your purpose. And even though you, you're uncomfortable now, it's not going to last forever. You'll, you'll get to the, the end of that day, have a good sleep if you can, although there were a couple of sandstorms that blew, <laughs> blew through at night and you're kind of snuggled in your sleeping bag trying to <laughs> stay there, don't blow me away. Um, yeah, but I, I think probably that most challenging point was the overnight stage. Um, by that stage, you know, you're so tired. You've been running in the sand for four days. Um, it's a very long day in the summer heat. Um, and then you've still got, I still had about probably about 30 Ks to go. Um, and I found myself alone, even though there is more than a thousand people who run this race at times you're with lots of people, but throughout that night stage, I was mainly alone and, and that does affect, affect you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're in the desert. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Yes, and you're just hoping you're going the right way and you're looking out for those little reflectors that they've got placed. Um, and I was starting to get really cold. I just put my extra socks on my hands and I was wearing everything, all my clothes that I'd, I'd bought. Um, I was trying to eat as much raised nutrition. Um, and then I looked up and to see those beautiful stars, it was the clearest sky. And sometimes it can just be that one little thing that just shifts you, that, that suddenly you go, this is beautiful and I've chosen to be here and I'm, I'm grateful to be here. And even though, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm not having a great time right now, I will look back up this and, and go, I'm so glad that I, I have done this race and I'm so glad that I'm here right now. And that got, that got me through and I was able to get to that, that finish line again before the sun rose um, and they give you a little cup of peppermint tea <laughs> and I was able to <laughs> drink that, hobble, hobble to the tent and then just sleep. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> and then get up the next day and run a marathon and uh, oh my like. gosh <laughs> I mean yeah. I just I'm so in awe when I hear these stories because I just think it's so amazing when women just get them and men but anyone gets themselves out of their comfort zone and does these things because it is hard it's not ever going to be easy um, but just what you've taught yourself and you just keep chasing these grand adventures because it obviously fills your cup it fills your soul and it 
it aligns with your purpose and, and, it, and it brings you joy. Um, and I think, you know, you wouldn't do it if it didn't bring you some joy. I mean, I guess in the moment, there's no joy in some of the moments when you're feeling really bad and it's hurting and it's hard. But I guess too, there is that kind of joy. I mean, as you said, you look up and you see the stars and you just feel so grateful and thankful that you've chosen to do this and you've, and you're, you're here and able. So like, it's just, um, I think if anyone's, you know, needs to know what it's like to really live out your purpose, it's watching someone like you, Heather, cause you're doing that. Like you're, you're not sitting idle and you're actually chasing after the, the joy in your life. And I just think that we should all be doing a little bit more of that. Um, and it doesn't mean we have to go overseas and run grand marathons. It can be just running down to the local beach or on our local trail or around our neighborhood or sharing in time with other people and helping others. Like, you know, there's joy in every situation. Um, and yours is just a little bit different. <laughs> um, I wanted to quickly ask you about, you know, you've obviously been to so many different places on these experiences, but is there any one particular person that you have met along the way um, that has this interesting story that you'd like to share with us? Yes. Oh, uh... I guess, as you say, there are, there are lots of beautiful friends that I think when we run, we gather, don't we? Um, and I have a really special friend uh, called Lee, Lee Hawks. I met her at Centennial Park when we were training for the 100K Ultra mm. at Centennial Park. And she has pink hair. And of course, when, when we, I guess, run a couple of laps when we were training, I thought, I think you're training for something. So I thought next lap when I, we cross each other, I, I'm going to ask you. And that was the beginning of our, our, our friendship. And that was in um, 2015. Um, and anyway, Lee and I did the track together. Uh, she'd, she'd found out about it. She said, come on, Heather, let's do this. And that's that, that beautiful one running from Alice Springs down to Uluru. Mm -hmm. And we shared a tent because um, it was a, a multi-stage race. She is the most beautiful, gifted, creative lady. And she's actually developing and making her own um, eco-warrioress um, adventure activewear mm -hmm. range. Wow. And um, I'm just so proud of her that she's chasing her dreams. She's a very calm, beautiful soul. And to have her um, within that race that we could bounce off each other, support each other, it is a, a really special friendship that we've got a very close bond. Um, and I'm so grateful that she happened to be at Centennial Park that day with her bright pink hair training. <laughs> that our, our friendship has started from there and just just grown and blossomed. And um, she lives in the Blue Mountains now, um, but I'm hoping to catch up with her. In fact, we're doing the 48-hour race together, which oh, will be great fun. So I'll get to see her again soon. Um, oh, well, I'll get to meet her then. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny how running works. I mean, just people just it just connects people and like um, amazing friendships are born out of these connections and then amazing experiences come along with that. <laughs> Sometimes it's a little enabling, they're a little enabling, uh, but we get these experiences that we, we think, you know, back that had we not met those people, we wouldn't be standing on that start line or looking at those stars or climbing those mountains. So it's pretty amazing when we look back to see how this all weaves together. I wanted to quickly touch on the fact that outside of running, you are an ambassador for Ovarian Cancer Australia, the Cantu Foundation, the Australian New Zealand Gynecological Oncology Group and the Indigenous Marathon Foundation. On top of that, you 
um, do your surf lifesaving, which we've talked about here in this podcast as well. You've mentioned a few times. What does it mean to you to be giving back to community in this way through your ambassadorship? It means the world. And I, I think in life, if we can give back, that's where we, we, we do get the most joy, don't we? The most fulfilment. And it's about making a difference and supporting each other. And I'm just so grateful and humbled to be an ambassador for those different organisations. It, particularly you know, with Ovarian Cancer Australia to be able to, to, I guess, get out there and spread the word and hopefully save other women's lives mm -hmm. um, to raise funds for research, to help bring quality of life and hope. That, that for me is such a powerful motivating factor. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just think in life, if we can be there for others, that we, we don't live in silos, that, that if we can be there and just be in that moment of need that that perhaps we can help yeah, make a big difference or a little difference in somebody's life, that that's incredibly powerful, that we are meant to be here as a community. And it just makes life that's yeah, so much better, doesn't it, when we're, we're there working with other people, giving of our time, that we don't go in expecting anything back, mm -hmm. but we go in there to make, yeah, make, make life better for other people. Mm. Um, and I guess that's the, you know, my mum and dad, you know, I guess had lots of values along those lines. And I've, you know, how you, you gather things as you grow up um, and think that's the way that I want to live life. And um, yeah, very much being able to, to serve other people and volunteer and give of my time and, and to remember people as well, to do things in honour for other people, um, and particularly those that perhaps we've lost or those that are on our hearts that are going through a hard time. If we can do something on behalf of them as well, that that's really, yeah, a, a lovely purpose as well. Mm, I love that. I love that so much. Let's just talk about your book quickly because I do want people to head out and buy it and read it because it is just a beautiful account of your story and your journey in life. Um, now, what year was it that you wrote that book again? I haven't got it written here. It's okay. Yeah, I wrote it. Um, it came out in August 2017 mm -hmm. and I, I, uh, Murdoch Books approached me after I got back from the Himalayas saying, Heather, you, we know you love a challenge and we'd love you to share your story. How about you have five months to go away and write and, um, yeah, and we would love to publish it. Um, yeah, so I thought, great, a challenge. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for me to sit still, you can imagine that was probably half the challenge. <laughs> I mean, it just even writing a book, I mean, it's called Adventurous Spirit and I've read it. It was amazing. I was trying to find it to, you know, to prepare for this podcast. I think I've given it away. Oh. Um, I'm absolutely sure I've given it away to someone to read because, which I do with my books, because I think everyone should just be giving their books away for others to read them once you've read it and you loved it. Um, so I couldn't read it again. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And I do remember it, but it's a great testament of your story and your journey and what you've learned and some of your great adventures. And I mean, what was it like to write that? I mean, I, I don't even know how I would start a book. I mean, luckily you had some of those journals you've probably written in some of your adventures. So how did you go with that writing process? Yeah, it's a wonderful challenge and it's really prof quite profound and, and it's quite confronting because you're thinking, 
I'm opening myself up mm. entirely here mm. and I'm hoping that people are going to enjoy reading this or I hope they're going to be able to relate to me that they'll take something away that this is a really, you know a positive thing so I sat down and I mapped out and I thought and it's really interesting actually that you you mentioned early on in our interview about um, going in full circles mm. and I thought if I can have my book going in a circle so the first chapter starts out climbing over a high pass in Nepal. And then I guess my journey through life is woven through all those chapters in between and the yeah, surviving cancer and starting the running and the North Pole the World Marathon Challenge. And then ending up in our final days on the Great Himalayan Trail to bring me back to that point again. I thought that's how I'll structure the book. and. Uh, and then it's, yeah, I guess really digging down deep and opening up and talking about those emotions behind everything that you're doing um, and making yourself vulnerable. Mm. But thinking that's a very important part of the book, that it can't just be about facts, but really about, you know, the person behind that and who, who I am deep inside. Mm. It was an incredibly cathartic experience. I, I grew and learned so much um, and I'm so grateful, so humbled and grateful to have had that opportunity to, to share. Mm. Uh, and I've had so many beautiful people yeah, respond back to me, yeah, some women, you know, who've said that they've helped help them through their journey through cancer. Other people, it's given them a bit more confidence to try try new things um, with work or hobbies. Uh, yeah, and that's that's just been such a beautiful flow on effect. Mm. Um, and yeah, I am so grateful. And then also recording it as an audio book as well. Yeah, that that was really emotional. I actually um, cried. <laughs> There's oh. a couple of points. Um, and I said to the sound engineer, did you want me to, to read that again? I'm sure you want me to read that again. He says, no, you know what? I love that. And no, we're going to keep it in. We'll keep it that way. Just go and have a cup of tea, come back and we'll pick up where you left off. Um, Wow, I love that because it's the experience, like you're reliving that experience as you're reading it back yes. to yourself and it, it was, there was a lot of emotion in your journey, <laughs> like, in, you know, in, on all these experiences, I'm sure there was so much emotion that was going on as you were traveling throughout every type of adventure. So it's great that it's in the audiobook. And I think if, if I was to share the best way, I mean, a lot of people love a bit of paper, but I think as runners, an audiobook is amazing. So like go and download the audiobook. I will make sure that I put in put in the show notes where people can get the book and the audiobook and um and get get onto it because what a great thing to listen to as we're running along. <laughs> I think for our runs. Um you've lived so much life Heather. Um I want to know though what would be some of the greatest lessons that you have learned on your journey? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would say about not being frightened about stepping beyond your comfort zone. It doesn't have to be a big step beyond. You can kind of stay on your comfort zone, the edge, but don't doubt yourself. Have the courage to take that first step. You never know where that is going to, to take you, where it leads. And in doing that, that is where you grow. Mm -hmm. And at times, you know, you might feel uncomfortable, you might be overtired, exhausted, <laughs> sweaty, <laughs> you might trip over, um, you might have those moments of doubt, but don't let that hold you back, that mm. you're moving forward and to grow as a person, to never stop growing and never stop learning. 
Um, and also just to really yeah, make the most of life. Life is so very, very precious. And, and, and I think that if we can live it for others and to make the most every day, to wake up and even if we're, we're tired, things you know, might be tough you know, at a time in life, but to wake up and tap into that gratitude inside mm -hmm. and hold on to that when things are tough. Mm -hmm. But to know that life does get better, that, that we can continue on and be there for each other. Uh, there's so much that I, I want to say and I'm trying to put it into a few sentences here, but it is just to live life yeah, and make the most of life and be there for each other. And you're certainly doing that. You're certainly living it and doing it for others as well. And it's just been an incredible journey. I want to finish up the RMA podcast though with the hot lap, which we do at the end of every episode. So it's just five questions for you uh, about parts of your story. So the first one is what is one thing that women shouldn't ignore in their health? Yeah, definitely. Uh, notice any changes then go and talk to your GP, yep, straight away. Anything that is not normal, straight away. Great. What is one of your highlights from all those running miles? Now, you're only allowed to pick one. This is the hot lap. <laughs> Standing on the start line of my four-kilometre fun run. I love it. I love that you chose that one. I love it. Uh, what has been your greatest challenge? Hmm, that is a very good one. I think, you know, I guess perhaps waking up from surgery after having the surgery for ovarian cancer and curled up in a little ball, uh, thinking where is life going to go to from here? I think that was probably one of the hardest things. Yeah. What has been your greatest achievement? <laughs> I think having, having the two beautiful children yeah, yeah, I love them so much. Mm. Yeah. Okay, the next one is where to next? What's uh -huh. next for you? <laughs> I want to know. Uh -huh. I know. <laughs> yeah, there's the 48-hour run um, with the Southern Sydney Ultra uh, coming up in June. What a great way to spend the long weekend, hey? <laughs> <laughs> Running around in circles. I was there last year. I'll be there again. I haven't signed up yet. Um, I will be there because I'm supporting the race, but I, I'm not sure about which distance yet. I'm going to slot it into my training. Um, so for Brisbane Trail Ultra, it's absolutely nothing to do with trail running, <laughs> but it is to do with ultra running. So I may do the three hour or the six hour. I'm not sure. I'm going to, I'm going to have a crack at something. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Heather, before we finish is that, you know, you're just, a normal mum, which we've said like everyone else, but doing extraordinary things. Um, what does being part of the RMA network mean to you? And how can other mums, uh, I guess, follow in your footsteps? <laughs> <laughs> I love being part of the Running Mums Australia network. It, you know, every time I, I guess I hop onto social media, there, there's just so many beautiful posts, that sense of connection. Hmm. I love it, that support, that that we don't feel like we're alone and they're yeah, and I, and I love reading others stories as well and thinking, yeah, I can so relate to that. And I, yeah, I know what you're going through there, or that's a fantastic idea. I'm going to take that on board. Mm -hmm. It's just such a wonderful sense of connection. So that, that means the world. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so how can people follow your story and your journey? Where can we learn more about you and follow along your adventures? Yeah, so on Facebook, it's um, Heather Hawkins Adventurous Spirit. Uh, that's my public page. Um, and then I'm on Instagram. So it's Heather underscore Adventurous Spirit. Right. So they're, they're the two main ones that, um, yeah, my socials. <laughs> I'll make sure I put those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Heather, for joining us today. It's been the most amazing, amazing conversation. Uh, thank you so much, Nicole. Just, yeah, so grateful for this, this chance to chat. And, um, yeah, love, love you so much. <laughs> Well, I hope you loved this conversation with Heather Hawkins. What an amazing woman. I will put in the show notes all the links to everything about Heather. You can watch some of her documentaries of some of her amazing adventures or you can look up any information around ovarian cancer and ovarian cancer research in the show notes. Thank you for joining us for the podcast. I look forward to bringing you the next episode. For now, if you'd like to head over and rate, subscribe or review or please share this episode with your friends, that would be much appreciated. Until next time.